Welcome back, everybody. Life is uh, serendipitous, and uh, one of uh, my you know good friends and somebody who is a uh, guest on the show, Catherine Adams, was kind enough to introduce me to our next guest, Greg Odino, uh, who is an actor or was an actor, and he left that to become a life coach. I was a life coach and left that to become an actor. So uh, the uh, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of things that we have uh, in common that I really want to discuss. And I think it's important to have these conversations as we're trying to help the acting community of how do you actually stay in balance and how do you get rid of the expectations and the passions and the things that we all have going for us that are driving us nuts that uh, Greg has been uh, talking about and has been able to help other people with. So I'm really excited to welcome to the show, Greg Audina. Thanks for having me, Alan. That is a crazy thing that we have in common. My goodness. I, listen, but it's a lot more. And as the show will continue and uh, you'll see, you know, people quickly learn that this is not as much of an interview as it is a conversation. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot of intersections. Uh, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, counseling, right? You wanted to be a marriage counselor. Um, you know, I have my I have my book on relationships that that I wrote mm. that specifically deals with relationship, deals with marriage. Uh, it's uh, it's it's all a part of it, you know. And um, <clears throat> there are a lot of these. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm gonna take a little tea right now. Yeah, do your thing. There are a lot of these similarities. <clears throat> and uh, once uh, once Kate introduced me to you, I started doing some you know some backgrounds. I'm sure you have as well. And looking at the videos, the first video that came about was dealing with passions and expectations. And at that time, it just hit so close to home, man. This <laughs> whole idea of not being able to be fulfilled unless you're doing this thing that you're doing. And for me, acting is, is that thing. And I was going through a time in my life where it wasn't that long ago where I was so incredibly focused on it. And you know, if, if acting or if the show was not going to work out, uh, I would not be fulfilled. And I was driving myself insane. And uh, thankfully, I got myself out of that. But just listening to you talking about it, I said, oh, my God, you know, this is a person that absolutely I need to have on the show because, you know, I'm dealing with my stuff and I'm a life coach. You know, I'm a certified life coach, so I'm kind of my own, my own client all the time. But, you know, people need to hear this. So, you know, let's, uh, let's kick off there. Um, when we're talking about or when when uh, you, you know, had your times when you were so locked in on something that if it didn't succeed, you would not be fulfilled, you know, unless it happened. Uh, talk about that feeling because a lot of the people in the acting community or artists in general have that same feeling and I know it all too well. Yeah, uh, that is precisely, I think, the moment where I realized that there needed that some uh, rebalancing was in order. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it, when you when you have balance in your life, uh, you know you're in a much better place to, to what can I say? I guess to rebound. There's more resilience because you you're not putting all of your identity eggs in one basket, if you will. Yeah. So you know the same way that we can have varying levels of attachment in relationships, as I'm sure you know, we can have varying relation uh, varying degrees of attachment with anything, including jobs. Um, most certainly with jobs and. You know, for actors, it's, we're really at risk, you know, because there's this, it's this extremely competitive industry, arguably the most competitive. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And therefore there's this, you know, if you combine that with this like popular self-help plateau these days of just like grind, 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 give it your everything. All of a sudden there's this really, um, it's really interesting and unfortunate middle ground where for actors, balance is not an option you know if you have too many other things going on in your life you are not doing it right you're not devoted to your craft and you will not find success uh which is you know to the actor and to many people like an extremely glamorous idea you know we see it in in films all the time this this humongous sacrifice all for one thing you know it's the stuff of hollywood uh so actors are sort of prone to being in that mindset anyway uh but it is uh extremely destructive so for me, uh, yeah, I think there was a moment, well, of course it was gradual, uh, but there was a moment where I realized that I was far too invested in acting alone and that it was just, it, you know, it was becoming my identity. And I, I saw it with actors all the time. Of course, it's still happening. This, this idea, even if it's not admitted out loud, that um, you are somehow, you, you are the you are the equi- the equivalent of your work success, which is very unfortunate, right. you know? Yeah, the, the whole idea of identity, right? It's, it's something that we strive for, and I spent, you know, my, all of my lifetime thus far uh, focusing on what is my identity and getting in touch with my essence, as I called it, right? So living your essence is my, you know, mantra. Um, and it's been in my mind and it's something that's been a driving force of mine. So then what is that expression? You know, who are you and what is your essence and are you living it or are you wasting your life by not living your essence? And that can be a positive force or that can be an extremely uh, detrimental force. And I've lived on both edges of that, uh, because then what is it? And I've tried then you know, which goes into the whole microcosm of, you know, why I became a life coach and then why I stepped away from it, even though I'm always going to be a life coach. That's, that's never going to change because you either are or you're not. And, uh, you know, you either want to help people or you don't want to help people. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter to which, uh, to, uh, to what extent you're doing it. So uh, when I kind of started my, uh, my journey and realizing that, you know, I'm a successful IT, uh, IT consultant and I have my company and everything is great. And I just bought, you know, a luxury car for cash and, you know, being an immigrant coming here at the age of 14 with no money at all. Uh, it's that thing of, I cried literally at the dealership as I was hugging my car. Uh, it was an Audi Q5. I still love that car. Uh, I don't have it anymore because uh, the thing you learn, you know, a side note with, uh, with uh, German cars, they're wonderful, but as soon as the warranty expires, you're screwed. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm a big proponent of leasing them and then uh, go, going to the next one before the warranty expires. But um, it's that thing, right? You're successful. Everybody thinks you're successful. Everybody sees the outward part of it. And you've built something from scratch, which I did with my company. And I was very happy, but I was unfulfilled. So then how do you find fulfillment? And then what do you find fulfillment in? Well, I love helping people but I'm a writer, I'm also an actor, but I'm not acting because I never give myself an opportunity to act, but I'm already with a wife and two kids and I live in a secondary market. I can't move to LA, I can't move to New York. What am I gonna do, right? Well, okay, then, you know, screw acting for now. I'm just gonna focus on helping people and help them achieve uh, success. So you go into, you know, writing the book and the whole idea of the recalibrate your life, right? So you write in the book and you, I create this you know, seamless uh, methodology, which we can talk about as well. But 
then you get to a point where you try to monetize it. And then you screwed again because <laughs> monetizing anything uh, takes an enormous effort and it takes a lot of luck. And especially in a self-help industry where, you know, it will take a long runway for you to get to a place where people are calling on you. You have to be an expert. You have to be viewed as an expert. Unless Oprah tells people, hey, buy this book, you're, you're not going to get there. And what I realized very quickly is that, you know, I left uh, my job as the IT guy in which I was making a ton of money and then making nothing. And that freedom and wonderful expression of who you are is great until you have everybody around you saying, dude, what the hell are you doing? Because you're not making any money. You're going to have kids that have to go through college. What, what is this, right? You know, midlife crisis at some point ends and you go back to it. And there was no money in it. And I kept on trying different things and different things and none of them would work. Of course, you have to take kind of one and stick with it for a while in order to see any success. But I got completely burnt out. And then crying uh, and feeling myself as a failure, I went back to IT uh, in order to regroup and recoup and kind of re re-energize myself. And then through that, I decided, no, I'm going to go to HR instead. But hey, while I'm working downtown, maybe I'll start auditioning. And then the acting thing kicked in. And then for a two and a half to three year ride of me just being focused completely on acting, I found my thing. I'm filled. I'm doing that. But again, acting is a very difficult uh, business, especially in a secondary market, especially, you know, uh, as, as you know, you can't dedicate your time living in the suburbs where you have to go downtown all the time and be there and breathe it. So it's that thing that continued on and on and on until, until quite recently when I said, okay, you know, I am content with where I am and I'm happy and I need to uh, get back to being in balance. And the balance for me is I have my career, I have my IT that pays the bills. I may not love it and it may not be the most fulfilling thing, but in order to keep me sane and have my relationships uh, be in order with my wife, who's been patient with me for 20 years now, and it came to a point, you as the marriage counselor um, can understand, all of that turbulence uh, got to a point in the relationship where my wife said, dude, another, another spin through the cycle and we're going to get a divorce because mm -hmm. this is not going to work for me. She's very kind of traditional, very, you know, uh, start somewhere, continue working towards it. She's a finance uh, person who rose through an analyst to a CFO. So she is, you know, anti-risk and my life is nothing but risk. And <clears throat> I have to make that choice. I have to make the choice of, do I do something for my own sanity and to have my family and kids and my wife who I love, or do I continue pursuing these dreams, which may never you know, happen, and more importantly, may never find fulfillment in, and then I get to a very you know, potentially destructive outcome. So I said, okay, right? I love my show. This is my outlet. I'm still going to do some acting. I'm not going to be pursuing it full-time crazy like I did before. And I'm still going to have that. I still have my writing that I'm doing. I'm still going to help people, but I have a foundation and everything around it is going to be just around it as opposed to being the focus of it. So that kind of is my you know spiel, but that's where a lot of people are finding themselves. So trying to figure out that 
ability to take what they're passionate about and make it into a life uh, you know, purpose and then monetize it and get stuck along the way. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a, that's a very, that's a great story. And I appreciate the fact that you were able to, that you chose to maintain your relationships in the midst of all of this. You know what I mean? Obviously being 20 years into marriage, I would think that one would be more apt to looking after their relationships, but not everybody would. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are so many, there are so many actors who I think unknowingly sacrifice huge amounts of their relationships uh, and, you know, just any other area in which uh, from in their lives in which they could derive value. So yeah, I think this hybrid approach that you've chosen is again, it's, it's like for some reason uh, it, it can be frowned upon, but it, it shouldn't be. It's the sign of a more whole individual. Right. Um, so to me, you know, I mean, I really, I really enjoy that choice and I enjoy like the communication between your, you and your wife about, you know, how her, she was able to both support you, but express her needs, which was, you know, is a sign of a really healthy relationship, having that level of honesty and communication. Uh, so I think it's all, I think that's all wonderful. I really enjoy that story. Thank you. Uh, communication is key. It's uh, yeah. in, in our relationship. And uh, again, you know, as a life coach and as a friend, I tell people all the time, without open and honest communication, and it seems cliche, but you're not going to get anywhere. Because yeah. yeah, if people can't openly and honestly talk to each other, and it's not just the talking, it's the, and again, you know, we can use an acting uh, simile for this, as in any scene, right? It's not about you giving, you're also receiving. So being able to receive openly and take that in and let it affect you, um, you can't have it. So just because my wife is telling me that she's unhappy, if I'm only going to look at my perspective and say, screw you, you know, mm -hmm. you're ruining my dream. I'm an actor, I need to do this. You know, then you have no uh, recourse and you have no understanding. Yeah. Uh, but me being able to kind of, you know, let the ego, uh, you know, be stand aside for a bit and, uh, and take it in and really kind of understand her perspective and see the bigger picture, yeah. that, uh, that helped. So that's what being a good husband and a whole individual is all about. I mean, that, that's wonderful. And again, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of actors especially find it in fashion to throw all of these things away that like even, uh, you know, even stand to threaten their dreams. Uh, so I, I, I love the flexibility that you have. And I think that a lot of people, uh, especially, especially younger actors are, are not apt to having it. Um, it's interesting though. It, it calls, as I'm listening to your story, like it calls something strange into question. And it's this idea of, I, I think that there's an unspoken truth in a lot of actors that they got, you know, they would hate to admit. And it's this need to make acting monetized or to achieve like a certain level of success in it. Right. And obviously like, yeah, I mean, you want to ideally have enough, you want to make money doing what you love and certainly make enough money to pay for your base needs. But it's interesting that this, you know, that an actor theoretically would not be satisfied just doing it on the side. Because to me, I mean, that if you're doing it, if you're acting like, and it's one piece of the puzzle in your life, you also have your marriage, you also have IT, or, you know, whatever hobbies you have and whatever, 
if acting is still a presence in your life, then you're still, you know, being able to enjoy your passion. Uh, even if it doesn't, you know, swallow up everything, it's still a presence in your life, which in theory, for actors who just enjoy the craft and the, the act of acting, uh, that would be enough, theoretically. But again, I think they're the sad truth for many actors, and again, God forbid, God forbid they admit it or even are able to acknowledge it, is this true desire for fame and success. I mean, acting, I think, for a lot of people, not everybody, uh, if they really are able to take a psychological dive into why they got into it, it's a lot of it, I think, is about attaining a sense of recognition or significance, which is not, you know, it's obviously that's not why you want to get into acting. It's understandable. I mean, a lot of people for various reasons have a hard time feeling significant or respected enough and acting, you know, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to latch onto acting as a, as a vehicle to achieve that because you see, uh, you know, so much emphasis goes into these people, uh, these, you know, these, these celebrities for one reason or another, whether it's uh, an actor who just, you know, is delivering an Oscar speech after, after a terrific performance, or if it's just a reality show following them around while they do nothing. Uh, this idea of celebrity is just, it's, it's fetishized so much that it's so easy for somebody to equate that lifestyle to this makes me significant. This makes people care about me more. So it's unfortunate, it's natural, uh, but I would, I would suggest that the more humble actors, the actors that are truly interested in the craft, at least more so than they are in the level of success or recognition, are those who are able to make choices like you did and to be fulfilled knowing that it's just, it's part of my life. It's one thing, it's something I enjoy and I get to do it and that's fine with me as opposed to needing to take everything away and only being satisfied if acting is, you know, a financially or socially uh, successful venture. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it really gets uh, kind of deep, right? So as, as I was analyzing what were my driving factors for, you know, acting being it, it's the, again, you know, living your essence, right? If my essence is an actor and I'm not living it uh, fully, then you're not going to be fulfilled or you're not going to uh, be successful and you're not living your purpose, right? So there's the, you know, existential kind of uh, aspect to it yeah then there is also the now uh, all of the artists uh, i think at heart we all want to be appreciated loved and understood so if you are not doing it um you know at a certain extent where it becomes more of your regular you know profession then that could equate with not getting that uh, understanding or not getting that love and appreciation for yeah. that or for yourself and then finally, the uh, uh, kind of, it's, for me, it wasn't necessarily the, uh, uh, the fame aspect, although it had uh, elements too, which I'll, uh, which I'll come to in a second, but it had the aspect of if I'm working a full-time job and I just got an agent and I have a, uh, an audition that I need to go to, it's that huge pressure and the feeling that I'm failing at both when I cannot uh, take off and feel good about the audition and have proper prep because I have my job. So it's either that I am doing something bad for my job 
or I'm not living my dream and that thing was not working. So the hybrid approach works well when you're able to have enough flexibility in it, which is the reason why I started a business as opposed to work for somebody because it gives me enough flexibility within my hours where I can go and do an audition and I can feel good about that while still maintaining it. And I am not at the point where I've reached a level where everything is nice and comfortable. You know, COVID certainly has a lot to do with that because a lot of the clients just, you know, uh, fell, fell, uh, you know, to, uh, fell victim to it. Um, but that's kind of the hybrid uh, issue. And then the fame aspect, and again, this is where the life coach in me comes in, is the whole idea of recalibrating your life, of taking something that you were doing and then midstream changing it, becoming successful at something else, writing a book and speaking and helping people do the same. Uh, so it's not the fame aspect, but it's the achievement and gaining a platform so you can help others. Yeah. So that's kind of all of these elements that go into it. So as you know, actors, you know, as you're viewing this, we know, you know, uh, <laughs> Greg uh, knows because he's done a lot more in acting than I have. Uh, and I know, you know, from my being a 45 year old, uh, guy with my life experience, we know that there's a lot of shit that you're dealing with. And the idea of balance and idea of fulfillment and idea of being an actor and finding all of that within is something that hopefully by watching, you know, uh, you're, you're going to be able to get something from and find that balance and find that peace because the feeling of peace was missing for a long time in my life. Yeah. I have a question for you, Alan, and forgive me if this is too intrusive. I, nothing, nothing is. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think back to what you said earlier in the conversation about how you, you cried when you were hugging the new Audi right? mm -hmm. and you had moved to the country from Ukraine when you were 14. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think, and again, this is me maybe assuming, but I would think that for a lot of people immigrating to the United States, like the Audi and the successful job, it's really not so much, it's not so much about the car as it is about this, like, I have achieved this American dream. I've broken through all odds. And this wonderful car is a symbol of that. So it's not that you are like, you know, super passionate about Audis specifically, but more this idea of like, you know, overcoming these odds. So it's, it's, it serves as a symbol. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if um, you feel as though, if, if that's valid, what I just said, I wonder if you feel as though acting is an extension of the same thing or if it's totally separate. Um, there is an element to it, certainly. Um, the, uh, the car was a symbol, right? I would have cried just as much if it was a Lexus or a BMW uh, <laughs> or a Mercedes. And none yeah. of these are my sponsors on the show. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Free ads. <laughs> Um, I do love Audis, by the way. So that's, that's just a genuine uh, feeling. Yeah, they're good looking. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a symbol of being able to make it, right? My parents were 52 when they came to this country with $300 in their pockets. So the, uh, that great big pressure of we came here for you to succeed in a new country and then being able to kind of struggle through because you wanted to be a professional hockey player. I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Uh, another parallel between us. Um, and, you know, not, not achieving that and then deciding what you want to do with your life when, 
you know, early on, I always wanted to be an actor. And my parents said specifically, you're not going to be an actor. We're not going to let you, you know, uh, go to college for being an actor. Yeah. So trying to figure out what that is, right? Figuring out, <clears throat> you know, what I can do um, going into IT just for the money because I was a recruiter and finding that this is where people make money and, you know, I might as well make money at something. Mm. So always kind of starting off instead of doing what you really want to do, doing it strictly for the money. I found the money, but never found fulfillment. So the, uh, to answer your question, the acting is more of a kind of a life, uh, you know, life purpose uh, driven endeavor of, I always wanted to be an actor since I was a kid. I did acting. I never got a chance to do acting. And it was that feeling of, I will only be fulfilled if I get a chance to do what I never got a chance to do that I yeah. thought I was going to be doing with my life. And it's that. So, and I love acting. I still do. Uh, I still love the process. And, you know, the, the, the great part of doing the show is the ability to speak to actors and really kind of uh, dig in there and talk about the craft and, you know, the love of acting is the genuine part of it. And I hope people who are watching this understand it, that it, it all comes from a genuine place because I love it. The fact that me making the decision that likely in this life, I am not going to be a full-time actor and being okay with that, that took years and, and evolution. And actually the kind of the last part of it was, uh, you know, where I come in the self-help world is from a you know spirituality perspective so it's the spirituality practicalized if you will yeah. um, and speaking to uh, to somebody uh, who is a channel and speaking to my you know spirit guides who basically said look you're as intuitive as you are and as kind of as tuned in as as i am i am feeling the acting part but what i'm feeling is not this lifetime what I'm yeah. feeling is another lifetime in which I am a full-time actor. And mm -hmm. all of that thing is kind of because it's hard to distinguish, you know, what is it that I'm sensing? Uh, and, you know, for those of you who follow spirituality, understand that, you know, time is not linear. Everything is happening all at once right now. So all of these lifetimes you can feel, you know, in the past and the future, if you will. So I'm feeling a lifetime in the future where acting is my profession, where I am a full-time actor. I did it as a, you know, started as a child and became famous uh, during it. So I'm feeling that I'm drawn to it. And I think it's this lifetime. So when the guides clarified it, I'm saying in this lifetime, it'll be a part of it. Uh, right. Acting will be a part of who you are, but that's not your full-time endeavor. You know, that's a different lifetime. As soon as I heard that, everything... <laughs> everything kind of dropped and I, and I, and I started to get back to balance. Yeah. People may be listening to it thinking it's, it's a, you know, a crock of shit, but you know, crock of shit worked. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, you know, whatever, whatever you believe or do not believe, you know, if something works and it gives you a practical application in your life, then, you know, use it. And for me, it's spirituality, which I do believe in uh, yeah. all of those things that happen. So I love it. Okay. So um, let's, uh, again, kind of, uh, we spend a lot of time on me. And I want to spend <laughs> more time. I like hearing about other people. That makes me a bad interview guest, I think. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it, it just, it makes you a great life coach because, uh, you know, both of us want to help other people. 
I just love talking about myself. I know that, and <laughs> that, may we never, that may never change. Um, in terms of uh, kind of your transition, right? So you you became passionate about acting. I know you've mentioned that kind of watching Heath Ledger, uh, mm-hmm. you know, made you. Uh, you have it. All right, let's see. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right on cue. Yep. Yeah. So um, you you became uh, passionate about being an actor, and then you kind of over time, uh, as you became you know pretty successful at it, uh, you you did uh, recurring on Westworld, which was cool. Um, you felt yourself getting uh, kind of out of balance, and then you went into the life coaching part. Can you dive a little bit more into that? And you know, for those actors who are feeling unfulfilled uh, being a full time actor. You know, maybe it's it's something that can be helpful to them. Yeah. Um, so, would you talk? Would you like me to talk about why I decided to make that change, or how I did it? Uh, both. Yeah. Why first, and then how would be great. Okay. Well, this is a nice long story. So this gives me a chance to, to talk more about myself. Um, Good. So, I think you know there was always this sort of underlying urge to to be uh, of service to people. I actually, like I said, I wanted to be a, or like I think you saw, I wanted to be a, uh, a marriage counselor before yeah. I wanted to be an actor. Um, so, and then I wanted, I went through this phase. I wanted to be a motivational speaker as well. And then I, I found acting and it was all systems go. So the thing is, so I, I, you know, I was acting, I was doing it full time. You know, I I was very happy to be doing it. Uh, of course I was never satisfied. Like I got, you know, like the Westworld role, for example, like a month before getting it, it would have been like a dream come true. And then the second I was done shooting, I was like, all right, when's, when's the next one? Um, (laughs) uh, this insatiability. Uh, so anyway, we, uh, I, I got to the point where I was always looking to do something for other people, mostly because like, I am an extremely fortunate person. Like I, I just had so many blessings. Uh, it's, 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 it's inconceivable really. Um, and with acting, I found that everything was about me. Everything I was doing was for me. Um, which again is a very natural groove for actors to fall into because it is so competitive it's very easy to develop this mindset of scarcity like you have to put everything you have into this um, and maybe you might get a crumb so I think there was always that urge to sort of send the elevator back down somehow and it was just sort of living beneath me and it started to get unlocked in 2014 when I went through this very difficult breakup uh, with my ex-girlfriend and in that time, in that time of recovery, I think I was just, I was reassessing all my priorities. I was, you know, what is acting doing to my relationships? How much sacrifice is really worth it? Um, I also, I mean, in that time I, I was reaching out to people, but it got to, you know, for help, but it got to a point where I just felt like a nuisance reaching out to like those close to me. So I, I sort of started to be, to be reminded, I guess I would say of the the value there is in having a a like a somebody who would support you no matter what someone who would listen to you and i you know i i was so i was sort of sitting on that thought um then the election came around in 2016 and you know in the elections there's just always there's almost there's always so much attention paid to true struggle in the world uh so i think i was then reminded of like how many people really are struggling 
and how many people need help in, in one way or another. And, you know, as I was sort of trying to help myself for those years, uh, one of the theories that I, I came across in my reading was this, um, you know, this philosophy that a great way of helping yourself is to help other people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to t sort of take emphasis off of your own struggles and be of service to people, you know, because that's something that will never there's always going to be people that you can help. It's such a true and honest thing you can do with your time. And that is basically why I, one of the reasons why I wanted to start looking into what I could do to be of service. And since I was a kid, this idea of just like talking and listening was something I was interested in because not only was I like good at it, but it was just such a, it's just such a simple yet impactful way of being of service to somebody. Like it's just so, um, it's so easy, if you will, yet so important. So in that time, I, I decided to, uh, I decided to look into life coaching, you know, therapy was what was on the brain at first. Um, but I was still acting and I, I wanted to do them at the same time. And, uh, although I did choose to take, you know, a relatively lengthy life cert a coaching certification, it was not as lengthy or as involved as if I were to go to grad school to become uh, an LMFT, licensed marriage mm -hmm. family therapist. So I, um, I chose to do life coaching. I figured I can take the classes and I can book clients next, you know, alongside acting work. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was not afraid of integrating this balance. It felt like it was really necessary. And admittedly, like it took a very difficult situation for me to realize that, which is sort of necessary for a lot of people. Right. Uh, you know, serious events usually provoke big change rather than just like, you know, just gradually thinking about it. So uh, in a way, like having a very traumatic breakup was a privilege, uh, as many, you know, seemingly traumatic things are. There are, there's a lot of privilege to be had in them in terms of the lessons we can learn. But yeah, so at that time I, I started to do coaching on the side. Uh, I was creating videos, uh, sort of combining my skills where I was just, you know, I was on camera and I was just breaking down different, uh, you know, common life struggles in ways that I thought were sort of unique yet still impactful. Um, and yeah, over time, I think as I questioned acting more and I sort of gained more and more fulfillment by what I was able to do for other people, um, acting just became of less interest to me. And, you know, do I, I don't regret spending my time as an actor at all. I got to live a whole lifetime in that, you know, that period of, of six or so years. Um, but it was, it's funny. I, I think upon reflection, I realized that it was all sort of bred of the same thing, which is this curiosity about, about humans and understanding why they work the way they do. Cause even when I started acting in college, I was so into like method acting, like very serious, you know, just like embodying my characters. And I would do all this freaky shit to get into character um, that I thought was, you know, so noble and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But underneath all of it was this desire to like truly get people like, why do they do these things? Yeah. Um, and to explore that. So in a way acting, although acting and life coaching, some might look at them and see them as being unrelated. Um, in this way, they were bonded for me. Um, so it's this, in a way, acting was a, a, a very crucial stepping stone into, I think, what it is to be, now be in a position where I am, you know, I would say more involved with like mm -hmm. understanding humans and, you know, and helping them as well. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, that's my answer for that.
I, I agree with you. There is a direct, uh, direct relationship between acting and, uh, and life coaching yeah. uh, because it really, in order to be a good actor, you have to understand, uh, you know, your character, you have to understand their motivations. You have to understand where they're going. You have to understand, you know, how they relate to others. So yeah. it's, uh, <clears throat> it, it basically kind of became, you know, you didn't go to grad school, but you certainly did six, uh, six or seven years of intense study in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in human psychology and relationships. So, um, <laughs> you know, same for me, right? I, I, before getting my life coaching certification, I thought, why not get uh, you know a master's in psychology? And then I quickly went to realize that master's in psychology, while I can get it, it's gonna be extremely expensive. And uh, having a master's in psychology is not going to get me any more clients than being a life coach. And I'll probably make just as much money, but without having all of that debt. And then I'll have to get a PhD in psychology before anything really happens. And then I thought about the whole education system and how ridiculous it is that you have to spend you know, enormous amount of money to get something, to get a degree on something that will never, you know, make you enough money to actually pay things off, uh, which took me on a whole tangent on how to change the education system, which I'm still, uh, you know, uh, deciding. But it, it has to be, in my opinion, at least it has to be an ROI based thing, right? If you're yeah, going to yeah. be an educator, you know, you can't be spending 50000 a year, uh, you know, and get into, uh, real high six figure uh you know debt by the time you return if you're going to be making forty thousand a year uh it's just that it's not fair it doesn't make sense and it discourages people from actually pursuing something that they may be passionate about and we need more of them in the world so yeah. anyway uh so i went into life coaching and i got my you know my uh my life coach certification was uh, six months and then i could have continued with other stuff but six months you know kind of i got what i wanted I don't know how yours uh, was, but um, the thing that drove me nuts, and I want to ask you about this, is, you know, I, when I see a problem, uh, you know, if the other person is talking and I see a problem, I want to help them fix it. It's the natural inclination of here's how you fix it. Here's what you can do about it, right? I come again from tennis, from, uh, from, uh, from sports, and you have a coach, and the coach says, okay, this is where you're doing wrong. You know, in the tennis, this is where your swing is. You have to drop things down. You have to follow through. So you identify a problem, you create a fix, and then you help the person by keeping them accountable and, you know, giving them feedback. That's not what life coaching is, and it drove me freaking nuts. (laughs) Did you you experience the same thing when when your trainer was basically, you know, saying, right, and how do you feel about that? Like, you, how do you feel about that? I know, I know, I know how to fix it, and you can talk about it, and just mm. <laughs> that, that. Yeah, that's a good question, and I think a lot of people uh, equate like life coaching or therapy even to this idea of like just telling people what to do. Um, and now, like, I work as an advice columnist, which you would still think is like tell people what to do, but I don't. I give people good questions they can ask for themselves to uh, sort of come to the answers for themselves. But did I have a problem with that? Um, I actually don't think I had a huge problem with that. Um, I was just so into learning about it and I was so at the mercy of like, I really want to figure out how to do this right. I will say though, that I think I have a natural or had a natural problem with it just being a man. Uh, And this is an interesting thing. Um, You know, I'm sure you've kind of come across this with relationship studies, but a lot of, 
men are typically wired. I, maybe you could say it's because of like typically, you know, having a lot of coaches if we engage in sports, but we are typically wired to be problem solvers and immediately look for solutions and feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas again, that's a generalization. And another generalization is that women on the other hand uh, are, are, you know, if they come to a, to their significant other, a man with a, with a problem, they are more seeking to be heard and listened to. Uh, whereas men are really quick to say like, all right, we'll just do this about it. You know, that's fine. So it's this weird disconnect. Um, and I think that, so just being a man, uh, in my daily life, I, I had to do some learning about when a woman or a man or whomever was coming to me with an issue, when to know that they needed somebody to listen to them and to support them versus when they were specifically asking for my ideas as to how they could improve that situation. So I didn't struggle with it too, too much while I was studying, but I think just in daily life, just in navigating my own relationships, um, it's becoming less of a struggle. It's something I'm really conscious of, but it, yeah, I mean, the natural tendency is to just immediately start looking for answers. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still struggling with that because, uh, again, and this is partially the ego, uh, speaking, but, um, you know, I read people uh, well, and uh, the whole being intuitive and empathic uh, allows me to kind of get an even deeper understanding of what's going on. And thinking that you can really help and wanting to help uh, kind of makes it uh, somewhat of a sometimes frustrating experience where in order for the real change to happen, the person needs to get there themselves. Uh, you can't you can't force things even though you know what needs to be done it's not your job to tell them what needs to get done and I've struggled with that because again is this a coach or is this somebody who's just asking you questions back you know the whole idea of what a coach is you know had to be revisited Uh, but with with men and women I completely understand uh, I, I keep on telling my wife and I'm educating her. I said, men are single threaded, right? Mm-hmm. There is, you know, we, we can be deep and we can definitely go within ourselves. And, you know, I'm, I'm an example of that. Uh, you know, I go all over the board and I talk about all sorts of things, but for the most part, kind of the main programming, it's single threaded. You ask me to do something, I'm going to go do that. You ask me to, uh, you, you ask a question, I'm going to answer it. And I don't have a lot of thinking behind that of I'm going to answer this question in this way because it'll lead to this. And there is no kind of, you know, some men obviously are different and I'm generalizing, but I think for the most part, we're not in the uh, really thought out manipulative uh, stage of there is a thought behind the thought behind the thought. It's you ask the question, I give you the answer. That's it. Yeah. It's, It's as easy. And, it took a while for my wife to adjust because she says, well, you're saying this because you were thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking anything else. You ask the question, I give you that. <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to finish saying that with my wife, uh, the way that I've learned if, if she's really asking me a question versus just wants to be heard is if she's getting straight to the point, and she said, you know, kind of, what do I do here? As opposed to really kind of going around in circles and kind of talking things out. Then I know, okay, I need to, I need to shut up and just be there and uh, to help. 
if she asks the question. But it's a great discovery for you to make as a husband. I it's 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 a the interesting thing is again my wife and I in many ways are similar and in many ways diametrically different. So it's finding where that thing is. And that's the interesting part of relationships because we're usually put in relationships with people or long-term relationships because both need to learn something from each other. Uh, My wife really needed to learn how to take things easy and how to let things go and how to not worry and how to just be much more chill, which is my default. I needed to learn work ethic and I needed to learn a lot of things from her. So it's that continuous melding and uh, a lot of time butting heads because both of us are alphas. So it's, it's an interesting thing. And again, this book, which hey, I'm not advocating everybody to buy. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to include a free PDF on my website for it. But um, this book really deals a lot with that. And how do you understand the other person? The, the whole idea of the new love triangle is the three types of love. You know, loving yourself, loving others, and loving your day. And loving yourself, for me, was the huge discovery because, you know, I'm sure you've read, uh, you know, the five love languages um, by, uh, by Chapman. Uh, Gary Chapman, I think, uh, I, think, I think that's the name. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and thankfully, my wife found the book early in our relationships, and we saw immediately that, again, diametrically opposed. I'm the, you know, huggy, feely, uh, touchy uh, guy, and I need to hear it. And my wife is, what have you done for me uh, lately? You know, how are you helping, you know, me? So me saying how beautiful she is or I love her really kind of doesn't matter. And she's not going to tell me that because that's not how she's wired. But if I, you know, help her around the house, if I go and I bring her tea in the morning, that's uh, her understanding that this is the way that I love her. So we had to adjust. And the whole idea of self-love was, and again, going to men, right? So a lot of people equate uh, sex um, with uh, kind of an expression of love. And it's not, it's just the intimacy aspect. It's the return of wanting to be, uh, wanting to be understood, wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted. So if you're not getting, and uh, sex would be a bad, a bad example because people now thinking that I don't have sex, that's not true. Um, but the not, uh, not having enough hugs and not having enough uh, hearing from my wife that uh, she loves me and cares for me, which is the way that I perceive love, forced me into finding ways to love myself because you have two options in that matter, right? If you're not getting the love, you're going to seek it elsewhere, which is why a lot of people cheat. So they stay in relationships, but they cheat because they're finding something or they think they're finding something that they are, that's missing. Or people learn and evolve. And thankfully, I was the latter, in which I've evolved and I learned how to love myself, which included literally giving hugs to myself, which, by the way, feels really nice and everybody should be doing it uh, if you're not getting enough of it. So that went to self-love. And once I understood myself, then I was able to understand and appreciate and love my wife more, which went into the second part of love of loving others. And then if you hate what you're doing the whole day and you're not uh, happy during the day, all of the other two are not going to help. So how do you love your day? And that formed the new love triangle for me. So that was the kind of the emphasis of that book, which is the you know one part of Recalibrate Your Life Principles. So. Yeah. It's relationships, 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 right? Exactly. That's everything. Yeah, I love it.
Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, kind of, you know, while you were an actor, um, what would be the lessons learned, right? So for the people who are still actors or who want to pursue acting, you know, what would be some valuable things that you've learned along the way now, you know, being out of it and looking from your perspective as a life coach of, of somebody who is very reflective and introspective, what would be some of the things that you would suggest for others? Um, I mean, I th a lot of it just stems from what I was mentioning earlier about this mm -hmm. idea of not becoming overly attached and not mistaking, you know, not equating your acting success for your value as a person. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's the, the more you expose yourself to anything, um, acting is no different. Uh, the more, the more life seems to only be about that thing, you know, because you're, you're, you're filling your mind up with this, you're stimulating it with the same concept 24 seven. So all of a sudden it's very easy to start thinking that it's much more valuable than it is just because you're choosing to spend more time on it. Uh, but that's never really the case unless it's something like truly important, like relationships, one would say. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that actors really, really just need to be cautious of this, like all in approach that people have. Obviously, you have, you, yes, working your hardest is very important. Um, but if it starts to come at the expense of your values, um, then you start to have a problem on your hands. And I've just, I've seen it. I've seen, and this is one of the things that scared me as an actor. Um, I saw so many people that were, that just hadn't, so many actors that had sort of, you know, they did what I did. They like moved out there when they were in their early twenties to do the thing and nothing had really changed for them. It didn't seem like there was any growth. Uh, I mean, again, I'm, I'm reaching here, uh, but based on, the way they were living and the way they would tell me that they used to live, it seemed like nothing had changed. The only thing that had changed were other things they had maybe had some intrigue with doing uh, and doing with their lives that had passed them by, um, you know, like starting families or maybe being spending more times with loved ones uh, that ended up dying. So things like that, it's just very easy to get so addicted to the acting lifestyle that other things that are very important pass you by. So I think that for actors, it's just of utmost importance to really remember what their values are. Again, that's hard to do for younger actors just because they're younger people. Um, but I think it's crucial for everybody, not just actors, uh, to really maintain a stronghold on like what those values are and just taking a good hard look at the way they spend their time and seeing if their values are at least somehow or you know, or at least not being um, put down, if you will. Like you'd theoretically want to have your values supported at least a little bit in all the things you choose to do. So um, that would probably be, at least from like a spiritual, emotional uh, aspect, that would probably be my best advice to actors is to just not be so incredibly attached to it because there's just so much more to life. It's, it's outrageous. Yeah. And for those actors who are listening, who are thinking, okay, that's a bunch of bull. Um, look at Richard Gere. Look at a lot of incredibly successful actors who've been doing this for years. And all of them are saying the same thing. You know, uh, you can look at, uh, oh my God, her name escapes me. How could it, uh, uh, the, the, the most uh, award-winning actress of our time. Uh, thank you, Meryl Streep. Uh, <laughs> well, if you're watching this, my sincere apologies. Uh, I'm sure Meryl's watching. 
Yeah. I, I'm sure she's highly offended. Why not? Meryl, why wouldn't you be watching this? Isn't this a fascinating comedy? <laughs> I don't really mean this facetiously either. So, um, but, you know, Meryl Streep is another one, right? So Meryl says that she can only work, uh, you know, a certain number of months and it's, it's less than a half a year as an actress. And she has to, she, she has to get out, right? Yeah. Here says, you know, acting is what I do. I love it, but I have many other interests. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a successful uh, actor, if you want to be in this industry for a long time, this cannot be your only thing. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree uh, with uh, with Greg on that. And, you know, look to other examples, uh, not just us uh, us talking about it. Yeah, I mean, you could just—it's pretty obvious just when you consider all of the all of the personal, uh, I guess you would, I don't know, all of the personal issues that many celebrities are facing. Uh, and I mean, there—it's for as much as the tabloids, I think, love to expose them and love to maybe over exaggerate. There's a lot of truth and the supreme difficulty these people have in maintaining good relationships. Um, uh, and it's, it's very unfortunate. And of course that comes with, you know, a lot of suicide, a lot of drug problems. Like these things are not, it's, it's not, they're very real threats to actors and none of these people that end up suffering from them, none of these celebrities or less than celebrities that end up suffering from them plan to do it. Um, so these threats are real for everybody. And, actors really need to take them seriously like in a way it's sort of like an archetype that nobody wants to talk about like you know act you know all actors tend to like have bad marriages and drug problems like everybody knows like the whole like actors snorting cocaine kind of mm-hmm. like a, i don't know if you want to call it a joke but um like stereotype i guess you would call it and th- that that stuff is real you know and there's a reason that so many actors of course not all but that a high percentage of them higher than the general populace, the higher uh, percentage of them go down this road. And it's because of this supreme lack of imbalance. You know, it's, it's because of this, this attachment to celebrity. I mean, if you, it's, it's no surprise that I think this is most prevalent with very, with, with child actors who go on to be adults, because when you're too young to really know your value systems, when you're really too young to grasp balance um, on a worldly scale, the, the the fame you receive is is your entire perception of reality. So when that's taken away as an adult and you're not as cute anymore, I, I mean, everything goes into question. Nothing makes sense anymore. Uh, so, I mean, child actors are a really good example because they don't have the tools to understand that so much. Like some of them escape it pretty well. Like Mara Wilson is a good example from Matilda. Um, she doesn't act anymore, but if you listen to her, some of her reasons as to why she got out of it, it's a very, came from a very educated standpoint. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, but some actors are, are not so lucky. So the, the advantage that adult actors, you know, even just even in their like, you know, early twenties have is that they do have those tools. Obviously they're not as fully developed as they maybe will be once they become 30 or 40 but they're a lot more developed than if they were five or 10. Yep. So using those tools and learning from the child actors is I think of crucial importance. It's those, those bad roads are serious and they can happen to anyone and they're easy to go down if you don't make the right choices. So don't, I would suggest that actors do not just like, you know, stick their nose up at that and think that's for everyone else. It's not. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, hopefully they subscribe to your channel. Uh, hopefully they, they continue, you know, listening to what you're doing. The subscription is right below. So please click and uh, subscribe. 
uh, we're going to have Greg's, uh, you know, channel, the YouTube channel. I mean, uh, we're also going to have uh, Greg's website. So please go to both of those and check it out. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is, you know, getting off of a little bit, you know, more serious aspect and getting into some of the fun stuff. Uh, I heard you mentioned that, um, you know, uh, Hugh Laurie was one of the people that you really enjoyed uh, working and talking with. Uh, from everybody that I've talked to, uh, always said that Hugh's just a really genuine and wonderful uh, human being. Yeah. Uh, sounds like you found the same. I did, yeah. Um, so of all the uh, celebrity interactions that I had, my interaction with you, Lori, was was the best one. Uh, I don't know if it's because I mean, I don't I don't want to sh- you know shortchange the other celebrities I work with, but like the thing is with 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 uh, with you, Lori, we were in this scene together on this show that he had running for a couple of years called Chance, mm-hmm. um, and in the scene. It was just he and I having an argument in a parking garage. Uh, so there were no extras. This garage was like pretty like tight. So they, there wasn't a lot of crew in there. The show wasn't like, it was pretty new and it never really turned out to be a huge success. So it's not like, it was just a pretty small operation for a network show. Mm-hmm. And it was very intimate. And I think because of the lack of distraction and because of the few, you know, the limited amount of people in there, like we just had a better opportunity to have a lot of, just good in-depth conversation. So if I had had those opportunities with some of the other celebrities I work with, maybe it would have been similar, but for the most part, there's usually just so many people around and they have so many things to do um, that it can be hard to just like really dive in. Like I never had any bad interactions with any of the celebrities I worked with, but with you, Lori, like we just had a really good opportunity to talk about stuff beneath the surface and to have a really good long, like actual conversation. so to me, yeah, I always really look back on that fondly. And uh, yeah, he's just, just a really nice guy, a good grounded guy. And I, 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 I revel in saying that because I know it's such a good, like for all the Hugh Laurie fans, or who, mm-hmm. I know it's such a good feeling to find out that you are a celebrity, you know, the celebrity you like most is actually a good dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I always, whenever I was working on set, I always like was sort of scoping out the people that worked with Heath Ledger on one thing or another. And they all had the best things to say about him. And it was like so relieving to me. So I am happy to share this with all the Hugh Laurie fans. He is as wonderful as you might hope he would be. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm certainly one of those fans. And uh, Hugh, if you're listening, I, you know, I invited you to the show already. I'm going to continue inviting you. Uh, yeah. You're definitely one of the people I would love to talk to. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's great. And um, I... The interesting thing is, uh, and again, talking to people, what I, I think you're the 60th uh, you know, person that I'm talking to on the Nice, Alan. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. I, I feel good, you know, starting on May 20th and, uh, and doing this. It, it feels pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and I haven't heard, it, it, you know, on camera or kind of off camera when we're done recording, I haven't heard any horror stories about, you know, people that they've been working with that have not been good. Uh, I think it's been, you know, overwhelmingly on the opposite side. You know, I've heard some things that we're not going to be sharing uh, uh, about <laughs> some actors and the way that they work. But, um, you know, talking like Paul Giamatti, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of Paul Giamatti. And uh, I've interviewed three people from Billions, and uh, I want to have everybody on from Billions because it's one of my favorite shows there. But, you know, Paul Giamatti, people say just how genuine and how you know good a guy he is same thing with Damien Lewis 
So like uh, people on the West Wing, which is, you know, my, and by the way, this is the West Wing reference, you know, like on Psych, they have a pineapple in every show, uh, or at least a reference to it. You know, with me, it's the West Wing because it's my number one, you know, favorite show ever in terms of uh, TV dramas. Um, so, you know, talking about all of the kind of uh, guys uh, and girls on that show, everybody was uh, was great to work with, you know, Mark and Sheen and such. So I haven't heard uh, anything about the celebrities. Um, and what I've heard is kind of the top, uh, you know, echelon, that they're really genuine and nice. Uh, the kind of in-between guys are mm -hmm. the ones that you hear a lot of uh, negative stuff about. And then the up-and-comers are, you know, kind of uh, nice uh, overall. So you have those three <laughs> Uh, of those who really want it and they're, you know, kind of want to work with everybody and just be open to it. Those who almost got there or didn't quite get there and they're not as good. And then the upper echelon guys are just nice. And uh, so I don't know. That's that's what I've been seeing so far. We'll see if that changes. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. Uh, again, like I hesitate to generalize too much. I'm sure there are obviously outliers in each category. But uh, yeah, you would think that it's easier to live in gratitude when all of these things have happened for you, you'd think. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, it definitely depends on the person. I don't know. I would, I, I haven't had any bad interactions, like I said. And I mean, I'm sure maybe part of the reason you haven't heard much is because people don't want to like expose their, you know. Right. Um, but I would say that like even the people who do have legitimate stories about bad interactions with, with uh, A-listers or B, C, or D-listers is uh, right. that, you know, everyone has a bad day. And a lot of celebrities are under, like, a, it's just a weird sort of pressure, a weird sort of perception of reality that could, I could, you know, make somebody irritable, or make someone irritable under unusual circumstances. So, right. I don't know. I would tend to lean that way. I also think for what it's worth, uh, I think that a lot of celebrities especially would be more apt to being kinder with people they're working with. Cause there's like a sense of like, you know, we're in this together. Like you're like a serious, you know, about your, you're serious about your profession. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like if somebody's just like jumping on their table in the middle of dinner to get an autograph, that warrants more of like a, you know, a, a more aggressive reaction. So I would say that industry professionals we like that are on set with these people it's more likely that we'd have a good interaction mm -hmm. but again that's a generalization too that's true now i only met uh, terry cruz kind of outside uh, of the business <laughs> if you will and um he was wonderful and genuine and uh yeah. you know uh it was actually a really good lesson for me because i didn't want to bug him when we're sitting next to each other at uh <clears throat> in in orlando um, the Harry Potter world. Um, mm -hmm. We were sitting, he was there with his family, I was there with mine, and my son, you know, this was a number of years ago, my son was uh, was young, he wanted an autograph. I'm like, let's not bother Terry, let's not go there, but he wanted one, so I said, okay, let's try. So I went with my son to Terry, and I said, Mr. Cruz, I apologize, you know, would you be open to, uh, to kind of uh, signing something or taking a photo? And he said, listen, um, you know, I, I appreciate you coming over, but I'm with my family. I hope you understand. He said, of course, you know, he uh, extended his hand. He shook my hand, you know, yeah. kind of uh, eye contact. So it's really yeah. genuine, genuine guy, but it was a great lesson of saying, okay, he's with his family. We really, yeah. 
would respect that. And I really appreciate it. And I hope, you know, I take something away from that as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. But you know what? Somebody who's not as level-headed as you, Alan, might like totally turn that, oh, he's a prick. You know, he didn't even have just a second to write the autograph. He had a second to say no, but he couldn't write it. You know what I mean? That I think there's, so there's a lot of just like the perception of it on behalf of the person having that interaction. So yeah, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with somebody setting a boundary like that in a respectful way. So yeah, good for him. Yeah, it was, it was good for him. So yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure uh, talking to you and it's a pleasure, uh, you know, to have you listen to, uh, you know, to, uh, to me. I, I know that uh, that's a part of, you know, what makes you, you and I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. People can fast forward through whatever they want, <laughs> but I enjoyed it uh, tremendously. Me too. Me too. Thanks for having me, Alan. Thanks. And uh, thanks uh, to all the actors and non-actors out there who are tuning into our show. Uh, I hope you got, uh, you know, as much out of it as I did and uh, ask questions, put comments, you know, right below here for, uh, <clears throat> for Greg, for myself, uh, you know, we're here for you because we know you love acting just as much as we do. Thank you. Thank you.